Um, I love that song. Good to have a throwback. Well, good morning. My name is Nate. I am one of the pastors. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10. We are launching into the last third of the book of Hebrews as we've been studying through this phenomenal letter to one to the early believers. Um, and we're calling this series Faithful Endurance. And just by show of hands, do I have any endurance athletes out there? You run 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, triathletes. I just signed up for my first triathlon. I know you look at me and go, that guy, that guy's a runner. That, that guy works out. I, I, I know that's what I look like. Um, and the laughter only hurts a little bit. Um, but uh, so hopefully it's at the end of June. Hopefully in July, I'm still here with you guys and I make it through. But uh, I've never done a full marathon. I don't like driving 26 miles. So the idea of running 26 miles sounds miserable. But I love half marathons. They're, those are a ton of fun. That's like the perfect distance. But there's something that happens when you're, when you're doing an endurance race, something a little bit longer that, for me at least anyway, I've probably done 10 or 12 uh, half marathons. I try to do one every year if possible. And about mile 10, something happens where it's not my legs, it's not my, like, my lungs don't hurt, it's my brain is just done. I'm just, I'm bored. I've been doing this for far too long and I'm just, I'm ready for the pancakes and the orange slices that await me at the end of the race. And you have to, and if you talk to runners, there's like, you've got to find that other gear to be able to endure to the end. Your body can do it, but your mind and your emotional attitude, you need help to endure. You need to find that other gear. And as we, as we shift gears in the book of Hebrews, we've spent the first 10 chapters talking a lot about doctrine, talking a lot about how Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that he came to make purification for our sins, that he is the great high priest, the great mediator who brings us into right relationship with God by dying in the cro- on the cross for our sins, that you and I are the problem and Jesus is the solution. And now this morning, we're going to start to shift gears a little bit as we go from beliefs about Jesus to how those beliefs impact our behavior. And so you'll see the the title of this message is, is Faithful Living, that we want this morning as we faithfully endure to see how can you and I live faithful lives. And the main idea that I have for us this morning is that we can be faithful to do our part because Jesus was faithful to do his. And so this morning I want to pick up where we left off last week in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 18, where it says, where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. The reason we start there is if we jump forward to verse 19, you see the word therefore, and we're good Bible students, and we know that we ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore, good job, Kate got it, um, that we always want to know what the author is pointing back to something. And so we start in verse 18 because he's saying that the reason you guys didn't come to church this morning with a bull or a goat or a calf, thank you for not doing that, is because Jesus once and for all was the offering for your sin. That his death on the cross is, is taken care of. That we now have forgiveness in Christ. And so we don't need offerings. We just need to believe that Jesus has accomplished as the perfect offering in our place for our sins. And so in light of that, 
we can endure. And our author picks up in verse 19. He says, in light of Jesus's sacrifice, brothers, he uses family language, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's just pause here and talk for a little bit because our typical rhythm at redemption is we teach through books of the Bible and we are going to always make much of Jesus. We're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the bad news that you and I fall woefully short of God's standard and that we need a solution to our sin problem. And that solution is found only in Jesus. And my concern, as we look at this passage, he says that we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus and by his torn and broken flesh. That you and I, I think, can maybe fall into the trap of being too familiar, too comfortable with the gospel. And this morning, for just a moment, I want us to marvel at the love that is displayed on the cross. My hope in my prayer church is that we would never just take the gospel for granted, that we would never take Jesus's loving and laying down his life as routine and ordinary. And so when we see that he's saying, you, have, you get to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by his torn flesh, which, which is figuratively the curtain that separated the holy of holies, that we now get to enter in with confidence. I don't want us to miss that word. Confidently draw near, confidently enter in. I think about it this way. My kids don't hesitantly open doors in my home. They've never knocked on a door in their lives. They just come busting through every door. It's led to some awkward moments, but they just come busting through the doors. My wife's going to hate that I said that in the 11 o'clock, by the way, and now it's on the video. Um, We have confidence. My kids confidently enter in to every room in our house because they feel like they belong there. This is their home. This is their safe space. They have a right to be there. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, we have a right to be in the presence of God. He loved us enough to look at you in your sin and say, you're worth it and I'll lay my life down for you. I want us to marvel at that this morning. I want us to not take that for granted. I want us to see that the gospel lets us enter in with confidence. And then our author is going to continue on and give us three things that we should do. Again, we're shifting from beliefs to behavior. In verse 22, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The first thing I want us to see is that we confidently draw near to Christ. And he's using very priestly language here that he's, he's in, uh, bringing to mind to our early audience the idea that you and I, because of Jesus as our great high priest, we get to function as priests as well. We get to draw near. That was a role reserved only for priests. And they would, on the day of atonement, sprinkle themselves with the blood of the sacrifice. They would wash in a basin to prepare themselves to be as purified and as cleansed of the problem of sin as possible. And here our author says, you get to do that. What was reserved only for the priests, the select and chosen few, you get to do. I get to do. 
We all get to do. That is how sufficient Jesus' sacrifice is on the cross. We get to come into the presence of God and be overwhelmed in worship. I believe that this language here is full of worship language, that we come into God's presence. We draw near to God to magnify him, to glorify him, to celebrate him, to celebrate what Jesus did. We draw near in worship. And so we confidently draw near in worship. And then that produces, verse 23, another command that we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Again, we get to be faithful to do our part because Jesus was faithful to do his. And one of the things that we do is draw near in worship, but then also we hold fast. We are immovable, unshakable, unbending. We stand firm. We are steadfast and anchored to the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. That confession of our hope, that our hope is in Christ, our belief is in Christ, our security is in Christ, and that cannot be shaken. Though the world around us would crumble into chaos, we don't move on from the truth of the gospel. We stand firm. We hold fast. Because we've tasted and seen, because we've drawn near in his presence. This is driving me a little crazy. Because we've drawn near, we can hold fast. The order of operations in this passage, I think, is extremely important. You start out worshiping and experiencing grace, and then that grows you in your knowledge of the truth, that bolsters your ability to be immovable and unshakable. And then out of that, verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We draw near, we hold fast. And then he says, consider how to stir up one another. Let me just, I I don't know if you guys thought about this this morning, but can I just like, can I just brag on all of you? You guys woke up this morning and were faithfully obedient to the word of God. You didn't neglect meeting together. Good job. Gold star, check mark, you came and you gathered. And I know Sunday mornings are hard. Sunday mornings are the mornings where somebody gets syrup in their hair as you're getting ready to leave the house. You can't find shoes. You get in the car and you're on your way here and you realize somebody didn't fill up the car with gas and so now you're fighting with your spouse and you can't find a parking space. And then you get here and, oh man, we're still not brewing coffee and I haven't had enough coffee. There is a spiritual battle surrounding Sunday mornings. And you guys persevered and came. So good job. But I want us to see, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another. And, and this may feel a little bit awkward, but this is the service that we record. And so for just a moment, if I can, I'm actually going to speak to the people who are live streaming. The people who are going to be watching this video who have not yet come back to church. Because you guys came And that's awesome. And thank you for that. But I really believe that there are people who are, for whatever reason, still fearful to come back. And I just want to challenge those who would watch on Facebook. How are you being obedient to this verse? How are you not neglecting to meet together? How are you stirring up one another if you're just watching? And and we live in a day and an age where I'm so thankful 
for YouTube and all of the videos. And I think we're at an interesting point in our culture where the pull towards, man, I could watch, you guys could go home and don't get me wrong, like you could watch far better preachers than me on YouTube who crush it, who have research assistants and they have editors to help edit out the inappropriate things and the, the jokes that fall flat and they, they help them write their illustrations. And, and guess what? Newsflash, like we don't have that. And so you get me and all of the weird things that I'm going to say. But, thank you. Um, but, here's like, so you could get far better content online, but you can't be known. While I'm so thankful for our live stream, while I'm so thankful for the ability to persevere in this last year, like it's time to come back and not neglect meeting together to be in the room. And so if you're just watching and not re-engaging, I wanna challenge you. I wanna stir you up. And that word is literally provoke, poke and prod. That's what we're supposed to be doing when we come together is, is pressing in on, part, on, on areas and making one another just a little bit uncomfortable because we've tasted and seen, because we know the truth, we can spur one another on. And so it's time to re-engage. But here's for those of us here in this room, we all know somebody who should be here this morning. And I want us, well, you did a great job not neglecting to meet together. Again, super proud of all of you. I, for real, this thing is like driving me bonkers. Um, it says, let us consider others, how to stir up one another towards love and good works. Here's my belief. We all know somebody who should be here that's not. And so while you did a great job coming this morning, how are you doing in stirring up those around you? The people maybe you work with, the people maybe you live next to who would say, man, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't need the church. I just need me and my Bible, and that's good. And like, I know we know those people. I know we have relationship with those people. And what God's word is telling us, is commanding us, is it's our job to enter in with them and say, man, have you considered, have you thought about, how are you loving with your heart, and then doing good works with your hands. Because I think there's, there's four, four reasons I just, I just feel like compelled to share with why we need the church. One, I think we need this gathering and that just streaming online isn't good enough because Jesus shows up in powerful ways when God's people get together. There's just something about coming here with all of you that I can't duplicate on my own that I can't, as good of a quiet time and as great as my music can be in my car, like there's just something powerful about being in God's presence with God's people. It's a glimpse of heaven. Secondly, I think we need to come because Satan and demons are real and we are in a battle every time we leave these doors and we need to come together with fellow soldiers in the fight and we need to be spurred on. We need to know that we're not alone, that we are in a battle and be equipped to fight that battle. My conviction is that where we isolate, the enemy wins. That's why he's saying, don't neglect meeting together. Some are doing it. And man, where you isolate, where you pull back and say, I don't need other people. And the enemy is going to win every time. Thirdly, I think we need the church because maybe this is just me. Maybe you guys are all better than I am. Like, I can't trust myself. I need other people looking into my life saying, man, that didn't sound very loving. That didn't look like good works. Like you can't trust yourself. You need others to poke 
and prod and expose and say, hey, like, I'm not seeing this in you. I need, so we need to be known. We need to meet together so that we can continue to grow, so that we can faithfully endure. And then the last reason that I think, just quite honestly, like, this is a command that we should consider one another, provoke one another, spur one another on towards love and good works. How do you obey the one another's of Scripture watching online? Not being in community with God's people. You cannot obey God's word without being in God's community. We need each other. We need to be in church. That's why we've, we, we came back as quickly as possible. And I'm so proud of how our church has handled this last year. But I want us to think, who are those that we should be considering? And so this may feel weird, but I'm actually going to just pause. And I want to pray. And I want to pray that right now in this moment, last week in Hebrews 10, verse 15, we saw that the Holy Spirit is the one who bears witness. I want to pray that whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting here, that the Lord would bring to mind somebody that you need to stir up, somebody that you need to be considering. Um, And so would you pray with me? Jesus, in this moment, I pray, Lord, that we would consider those who you have placed sovereignly in our circle of influence. God, right now in this moment, I pray that your spirit would bear witness to those who need to be poked, those who need to be prodded, who need to be encouraged towards love and good works, who need to stop neglecting the gathering, but rather need to come together and be encouraged as the day draws near that we need to draw near to you. We need to hold fast to you and we need to consider others. And so Father, right now, I pray that you would bring names. I pray that you would bring faces. I pray that you would start to line up divine conversations where we could stir up one another. God, let us take our eyes off of ourselves and see the souls around us. Father, let us be, walk in faithful endurance and faithful obedience. And so, Father, even today, I pray for, for conversations to begin. Lord, for questions to be asked. God, for, for doors to be opened, for people to, to come back and start gathering and experiencing you, Jesus, in a powerful and present way. And so, Father, make us bold. Make us obedient by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would reveal those around us that you have appointed us to be your hands and feet for the glory of your name, for the praise of you in you alone, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. What we see here is that um, not only are we to confidently draw near, and again, the order of operations is important. And so I want us to, to really focus on we draw near in worship. We come to, we, if we're going to pursue faithful lives, it starts with drawing near to, to God through Jesus by the Spirit. But then not only do we need to be confidently drawing near, but what we see in this next section is I think we need to be concerned by our sin. And we hit another one of these weird sections in Hebrews where there is lots of discussion and debate over the section we're about to read. And, and this morning, and as I've prayed, we, we could get into the weeds of doctrine and theology, but I want to take a, take a page from our author, who he's shifting away from doctrine and towards deeds and behavior. And so I don't want us to get into the weeds of theology. 
Um, and so you could go back on our website and find, we preached through a very similar passage in Hebrews 5 and 6. Um, and I get a little into the weeds on, is this about losing your salvation or is this about you never were a believer or is there another option? Um, and, and you can go back and listen to that and I would encourage you to do that. This morning I want to keep the main things the main things. And what I see in this section is not necessarily let's argue about doctrine, but rather does our sin bother us? Are we concerned by the brokenness of our sin? Are we grieved? Are we offended? Are we troubled by what our sin represents? And so I'm not going to wade into too much of the doctrine because I want to look at the behaviors of our lives. And so let's read verse 26 through 31. He says, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, we could, we could discuss and debate but, but really the big idea that I want us to see is, man, if we're going to be living faithful lives, our sin should trouble us. Where we fall short should push us to our knees and confession and repentance. And we should be broken by our sin. We notice here that the, the author is speaking to believers. He lumps himself in, in verse 26. He says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. I actually think what our author is doing here is what he has consistently done in the book of Hebrews is he's drawing on their knowledge of the Old Testament, their knowledge of the law, which they are drifting back into. And he's using accounts and stories from the law to inspire their faith to stay steadfast and faithfully endure, to be concerned by their sin. And so if you have time this week, I'd encourage you, go back and read Numbers 15 and 16. I think the author has this section of the Old Testament of the law in mind when he's writing this, because in Numbers 15 and 16, we have this interesting account. And I know all of you are like, man, I love the book of Numbers. I hope Nate encourages us to go home and read the phone book of the Old Testament. Um, but there's this really, really fascinating account where in Numbers 15, you get the, the unintentional sacrificial system for sin, that went, or the unintentional sa- sin sacrifice. Let me say that the right way. That Moses was given the instructions for when you accidentally break God's law and unintentionally fall short, not willfully, not deliberately, but you just accidentally, because we're all broken, because the world is broken, you unknowingly fall short. Here's a way to sacrifice. Here's a sin sacrifice for those accidental slip-ups. That's in Numbers 15. And then the pivot in, in number 16 is this fascinating story of a man named Korah who leads a rebellion, a deliberate and willful rebellion against God and God's leadership structure. 
Korah grabs 250 leader of leaders and he says, I don't think we need you, Moses. I don't think we need Aaron, that we're all God's children. And so we don't need any authority. We don't answer to anybody. We need no accountability. We don't need any rules, any law. We can govern ourselves. We should all be equals. And Moses and Aaron intercede and the rebellion swells and continues to escalate to the point where Moses says, we're going to see who God is in favor of. And if God is against you and your deliberate and willful rebellion, Korah, the ground is going to do something it's never done before. God's going to do something he's never done before. And it's going to open you up and it's going to swallow you and your whole family. And then you 250 uh, leaders who have sided with Korah Fire is going to rain down on you. And that's exactly what happens. Judgment and a fury of fire comes down because of their willful and deliberate rebellion. Because they decide they don't need God and they don't need God's leaders. They can do it their own way. And there is judgment and there is fury of fire. And so I think that that's what is in mind here. I think that's what our author is drawing out from the audience. And then he wants them to see the significance of their sin. He says that you are trampling underfoot the Son of God. You are profaning the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified, and you you have outraged the Spirit of grace. Again, are we concerned by our sin? Does it break our hearts? Are you crushed when you look at the things you look at on the internet? When you drink a few too many drinks, when you overeat, when you speak to your kids that way, when you're not truthful and honest, does it break your heart? The things that come out of your mouth, the thoughts that flow through your heads, the things that you do with your hands, when it is in rebellion of God with, as we draw near, it should crush us because it murdered God. Our sin is serious and it should bother us. We should beg the Lord to wring it out. We should beg the Lord to get rid of it. We should fight with everything we have against our sin. And my concern is we're all so comfortable and we're so informed by the world and not God's word that it doesn't bother us. It doesn't concern us. We're just fine. And we, we fall too easily into the prey of what Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. We're just like, man, well, Jesus' death paid for it all, so I'll just do whatever the heck I want. And it ought not be so with us. We should so treasure the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and be so filled with his spirit. And as we draw near, we should deeply desire to walk in faithful endurance And be deeply concerned in those spots where, man, we we still have so much work to do. And this should be a place where we can come and call that out in each other because we've all tasted grace, because we've all experienced the forgiveness that means we no longer need an offering for sin. We should be able to enter in as, as all of us desperately need grace. There is no judgment, but rather just an encouragement towards love and good works that we should all press in, we should all persevere. But are we concerned by our sin? It gets in the way of our ability to live faithful lives. And we get to be faithful because Jesus was faithful. And then the last thing we see, and if you're not uncomfortable, wait a second, we're gonna get there, is that we're called to endure. Verse 32. But recall the former days 
when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have no need of endurance, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then he quotes Habakkuk 2. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We'll get to verse 39 in just a moment. Here's what I want us to see. Our author here is calling the early readers to endure. This is going to be a major theme as we wrap up our study of the book of Hebrews. But he calls them to endure by saying, remember where you were first at. When God first brought you out of darkness and into light, when he enlightened you, when he saved you, when you were resurrected, your dead heart was made new. Recall that that came with persecution and opposition. That there, were, there, were, there was a hard struggle and suffering, sometimes publicly exposed. That's the idea of being drug up on stage and paraded out in front of everybody. This is what the early readers are called to remember these times. This is what they went through when they came to faith in Christ. They entered into a relationship with Christ. They drew near to him and were publicly persecuted, were publicly exposed, were publicly opposed. Times were tough. And he's saying, I want you to remember those hard times because God got you through it. God was good in the midst of that season. He's going to be good in the midst of this season too. He's going, he gave you the ability to endure back then. He's going to give you the ability to endure now. But church family, can we just be real for a moment? This has been a hard year. We have not yet been persecuted. And I know some of us feel like this last year has been persecution. And my hope and my prayer is that God is growing us in our faith and our dependency on him to where one day we'll be able to recall 2020 and go, look at what God did. We won't remember the hard. We'll remember the holiness of God. We'll remember the sovereignty of God. We'll remember the provision and the protection of God. But the danger when we're not drawing near The danger when we're not concerned with sin is that we are not enduring and we take our eyes off of Jesus and we fixate on the world and the problems around us. And all of a sudden we start thinking that right now we the church are being persecuted. And if I can be so bold, that's offensive to me, to those in church history and around the world who are really experiencing persecution. We are not there yet. We are being inconvenienced perhaps. But I really think what God is doing in this season is exposing in the church the idol of comfort that we have. That God is exposing that for us, we want to live our comfortable lives and think that everything should feel good and happy all the time. And as this last year has rattled that, we are being exposed and the shallowness of our faith is being revealed. And I believe God's going to do something great. And church, there's a part of me that has started to pray like, Lord, we shouldn't run from persecution. We should actually want it. 
Because if you go back and study church history, every time the church is persecuted, it explodes and revival breaks out and God does something amazing. So many of us are so quick to run to Facebook or Twitter and bash the government, bash our city, bash masks or vaccines or non-masks and non-vaccines. And we get so consumed with that that we feel like we're standing up against persecution. And I would say we're getting distracted and deceived and we're not keeping the main things, the main things. Should we be concerned? Yes. Should we be prayerful? Yes. Should we be involved? Yes. Should we be fearful? Absolutely not. God is on his throne. We have not yet hit persecution. And my hope and my prayer is that when it comes, and I do think it's coming, but it's not here yet, that we would respond like this church where he says, Recall those early days when you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They're getting their homes taken from them. They're getting thrown in prison for their faith. And they're saying yes and amen. This is a joyful thing. If I can suffer for Jesus, take my land. We get bent out of shape about masks. We get bent out of shape about who got elected. These people are losing everything for Jesus and saying yes and amen. And the why is important because he says that they knew that you yourselves, the end of verse 34, had a better possession and an abiding one. When their eyes are fixed on Jesus, when they've drawn near to him, this world holds no allure. They're so captivated by Christ that you can take their land. They don't care. I get Jesus. I have a far better thing waiting for me, which is where he goes. He says, do not throw away your confidence that you belong in the presence of God, which which is going to bring a great reward. We're not living for here. We're living for there. And if you're freaking out over 2020 or how 2021 has begun, my concern is you're living for here, not living for there. It shouldn't be about this life. It's about the reward we have waiting for us in heaven. And that should spur us on to share the hope that we have in the midst of a chaotic culture with everyone around us because we don't have to panic. Our hope is there and he's coming back. He's going to return and that should help and spur us on to faithfully endure. That's how we find the fifth gear. That's how we press on when our spirit feels weak and we just want to give up is we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to him. We realize it's not about here and our comfort. It's about Christ and the eternity we will get to spend with him. And my hope and my prayer and my belief, redemption church, church family, is we're going to endure. And that's where I, I didn't read verse 39 yet. Because I want to read verse 39. And then I want to pray verse 39 over our church. Verse 39 says, after he's, he's called them and he's commissioned them to do certain things, he proclaims over them that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Church, we are not going to shrink back. We are not going to be destroyed. 
I believe with my whole heart, the best years for redemption in Loveland is yet to come. God is going to do unimaginably more than we could think or dream of if we endure, if we press in, if we don't shrink back, if we don't run to comfort, if we don't turn inward and just become a holy little huddle where it's just about us. But as he presses us out, as he spurs us on, as we are led by his spirit to care about the dark and dying world that surrounds us, the desperate need for Jesus that our city has we are going to endure and God is going to do something amazing. But we have to press in. We have to endure. We have to fight the temptation. We have to gather together. We have to stand for truth and we have to draw near. And so would you bow your heads? I wanna pray over us, verse 39, as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion.